She wanted to be near Lori, to stay within the bubble of light that he carried with him. But once she was that close, she found she was too afraid to show herself. Whether to him or to herself, she couldn't say. Either way, one moment everything would be perfectly normal. They'd be laughing and teasing and running the meadow path like wild things. The next moment, he'd look a certain way, or look at her a certain way, and she'd find herself staring down at her own slippers, like a tongue-tied schoolgirl who can't bring herself to look her first maidenly crush right in the eye. Just one look, sometimes one word. The constant push-pull of her emotions exhausted her, dizzied her, or perhaps it was only grandfather's tea. That's a quote from Joe and Lori, written by Margaret Stoll and Melissa De La Cruz. This is YA Book Chat, and I'm your host, Leah Stuhler. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of YA Book Chat. I am very glad you are here. And I'm also super excited because today I have my friend Bethany from Prince Kai Fan Pod here again. Hey, Bethany, how are you? Hi. Good. How are you? Good. Holding up during quarantine. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not that bad. And actually Good. where I am, everything has started opening up again. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting some freedom, a little bit more freedom now. So I don't feel so trapped anymore. So it's good. Yeah. Everything has started to open up here. The bookshop I worked for just reopened, the local bookshop I worked for. Um, but it's still kind of in that wave of, of uh, uncertainty. Oh yeah, I agree. But um, yeah, we'll see. I'm just it's glad like that, the it's like, like I, the middle of the book. You know, it's not over because there's a bunch of pages left. But you don't really know what's going to happen. Exactly. We're just kind of <laughs> in this stage right now. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Well, I'm glad you are here. And you guys listening might remember Bethany was my first ever guest, <laughs> and she covered the book Heartless by Marissa Meyer with me. Such an amazing book. And I have also been a guest on her podcast a couple of times, and um, she will be back on this one again as well in the future. So yeah. Well, today we are covering a brand new book. It is called Joe and Lori, and it is written by two authors, Margaret Stahl and Melissa De La Cruz. And yes, I have been covering a lot of Melissa De La Cruz lately, (laughs) but you know, the woman released like three amazing new things this year. So it's, you know, just how it has happened right now. (laughs) But anyway, we are going to talk spoiler free for a little bit first, and then I will let you guys know when we are going to hit the spoilers. All right. Are you ready, Bethany? I am ready. Let's get into this. All right. So let me give everybody um, a brief little plot overview first, because this is, like I said, a brand new book just released on June 2nd. So you probably have not, most of you have probably not read it yet, (laughs) but um, (laughs) I had the chance. I was sent an ARC and was able to read it ahead of time, and I absolutely loved it and adored it. So this book is part of Little Women. It's a spinoff of the Little Women series, and if you love... Little Women, whether it's just loving the book or loving any of the millions of versions of the movie that are out, (laughs) um, (laughs) you will really love this book. So essentially what happens is, and here's something that I didn't know. When Louisa May Alcott wrote Little Women, she wrote Mm -hmm. it in 1868. And apparently, like it did, it did really, 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 really well. And so then she had a lot of pressure from her publisher and from the fans saying, hey, we want a sequel to this. So then she wrote a sequel a year later. But what has happened is that the the sequel, the book that we know as Little Women is actually her first story and the sequel put together into one book, which I never Mm -hmm. knew until I read Joe and Lori because- You didn't know that? I didn't. I never knew that. That's so cool. Um, Yeah. It's very similar to like how a lot of, you know, Charles Dickens books got published in shorthand, you know, chapter by chapter in different magazines until they were collected. One of the things I like most about the fact that they were separated is that as a reader, you don't realize that reading the story, like reading it, read 
is one cohesive story. So it's like, wait, where did it stop before there was a sequel? Exactly. Which is why I never even knew this until I read Mm -hmm. this because Margaret Stahl um, and Melissa De La Cruz put, they have a foreword and actually they have kind of an epilogue at the end of the book where they talk Mm -hmm. about all of these different things. And so um, I didn't know until I read that. But this story, Joe and Lori, is supposed to take place in between those two books. So mm-hmm. it takes place in between Louisa May Alcott's first and second book. So we're smack dab in the middle, which means um, that by this point, Beth, poor Beth, has already passed away. So Beth is not in this story, but everybody else is. So in this book, Joe and Lori, Joe has had her first book published and it becomes a huge success. So the very beginning of the book, you know, she gives it to the publisher, it's published and it goes amazingly well. And then we start a one year later where she is getting pressured to write a sequel to her book. And so that's where this book lives in that space of her trying to write a sequel. She goes on a trip to New York City with Lori. During, and during that time, um, we of course, this book explores Joe and Lori's relationship extensively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what happens is, we all, we all know this story, okay? So we're Little Women fans. This is not a spoiler because we all know this already, that you know, Lori proposes to Joe, she says no, Well, then later on, he comes back and it's possible he's going to be with somebody else. And so Joe kind of has to make a decision on what she's going to do. And in the meantime, she's also struggling and trying to get her sequel written. So that is where this book lives. That is what Joe and Lori is about. And um, it's just fantastic. (laughs) Okay, you guys, I'm just warning you all listening. I am really going to gush a lot today. Okay? Just be forewarned. Don't say I didn't warn you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bethany, what are, um, what are your, what were your overall impressions of the book? What did you think? I was surprised at how much I liked it. As Hmm. you and I've talked about before, is it a giveaway to say I'm team Amy? I mean, it's kind of in the title, right? Joe and Lori. Um, I'm I'm team Amy. So I was really hesitant to like the book because I was like, oh no, what are they going to do to Amy and Lori? <laughs> uh, and there were definitely parts of it that, um, you know, threw me for a loop and I was like, oh, well, what's going to happen now? But I genuinely loved it. I felt like they did. I felt like the authors did a really good job of capturing the narrative that is uh, Louise May Alcott. But I think that they did a really good job of capturing the narrative and the original tone of voice of the author Mm -hmm. while still making it a modern telling in the sense that, you know, the language structure, the colloquial was used and the the wording didn't make it difficult to follow. Right. Um, And I also think that they, they did a good job of reflecting the character's authentically to what they were in the story that we're all so familiar with. So Overall, I actually really, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And I have not read anything by either of these authors. So now I want to go and explore more. (laughs) Well, you should, because um, I can speak for a fact, as can any of my listeners, that I love Melissa De La Cruz, seeing as how this is the third thing of hers that I've covered, Um, but whatever. (laughs) But yeah, um, really good. And I, I agree with you. I wasn't sure what to expect going in. I, I had a feeling it would be good just because, like I said, fan of the authors, but you know, I didn't really know, but I, I agree completely with how it really fit in well with Louisa May Alcott's story. Mm -hmm. And they kept true to the characters. Like, I feel like this book could have very easily fit into hers or even like, you know, I could picture it in any of the movies as well. I felt like it was really a good blend and it works well with them. I also really loved how they included Joe's writing journey in this, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but I, I loved seeing it through her eyes and from her perspective, because they really give you a good glimpse at what a writer goes through when they're trying to write a book. And yeah, and I, I don't, I'm not a fictional writer. I write a lot of um, academics. Like we talked about, I'm currently working with someone publishing an academic paper that I wrote, but 
the struggle that is writing something when you know you have to write it, but you can't mm -hmm. think of something. I think they did a great job of portraying that. Cause like I felt her frustration yes. of like, it's looming over you. This needs to be done by a certain date and you've got your, well, for me, I'm not a typewriter cause it's the 21st century, but like she's got pen to paper and she's just like, mm -hmm. nothing is happening. Yeah. It was, I mean, you could feel Joe's pain as she was trying to write this book <laughs> yeah. and just really struggling. And like, she'd write it and bring it to her publisher and he'd be like, it's crap, do it again. And she'd be like, <laughs> ah! like, it was just a lot of back and forth, but we'll get into that in a little bit. I also really loved, okay. And I've read a, another book before where it was written by two authors and I always love like how seamless it is and the fact that it feels like it's written by one person. Like I would love to interview these two and be like, how do you do that? How do you, how yeah, do you write together as a team and get it to be that perfect and seem like it was only one person? Well, and I wonder like what parts of it they took. For yeah. example, if you and I wrote a book together, and it was told from two different characters' perspectives, and you wrote a character and I wrote it. It can be very obvious, right? you know, who contributed what. I couldn't tell who, yep. which author was writing which moments of the story. And I think that that's actually a really good thing because it's not told from multiple perspectives in this. Well, it, it is, but not in the sense of like each chapter is a different person the way that, right. you know, like the Renegade series is written or something. Right. But it, yeah, so it was amazing. It was like really seamless. And without giving anything away yet, I also want to say like, for me, this was the story that I wanted. <laughs> um, and also, I, I want to say this. I have never felt so completely satisfied with the ending of a book before. Really? Uh, yes. Like for me, okay, I'm going to tell you this. So I read, <laughs> I read at night before I go to bed. I was reading this book. It was, it got really late because I couldn't stop reading. I had like five chapters left and I, but I was like, this is so good. I cannot stop reading this. So by the time I finished, it was after 1am. Okay. And I'm sitting in my bed sobbing because, you know, thankfully my husband was asleep because had he turned over and woke up, he would have been like, what is the matter with you? Cause I'm sitting there with my Kindle <laughs> reading this tears streaming down my face as I was like reading through the last four chapters of this book. And I was like, but I really feel so happy right now and so <laughs> completely satisfied. I had never felt like that at the end of another book. Like it just, uh, I don't know. I it was just like perfect for me. I feel all the time with books. <laughs> well, I just feel like I've felt like that with some books before, but this one, this one was even more so for me. Like it was just more very complete, very full circle and exactly like where I wanted it to be. I don't Do you know. think that's because you've spent so long being dissatisfied with the ending you got in the original Little Women? I don't mm, see, and that's hard because I wouldn't say that I was necessarily dissatisfied completely. I mean, I love, I love Little Women. I really do, and I, I didn't mind the way that it ended. I thought it was like a, it was a good story, and I can totally see why well maybe not why but <laughs> i don't know it makes sense that you know joe with um professor bear and how just how everything all works out and um and amy and lori together and i really do like it and i feel like it makes a lot of sense i never felt like completely dissatisfied with it i just feel like this this one this story was more satisfying and more fulfilling to me just mm -hmm. in a different way I, I think know. that's great that you had such a good ending with the book. I often feel like that. There's, I think there's been very few books where I finished it and I'm like, well, no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think probably the most heartbreaking ending of a book was Heartless, even though I Ugh. saw it coming. But yeah, um, I just the way it was written, me. it was like, oh, God. Well, I mean, go was, back and listen to episode one. Pretty much. Because Heartless is like, you know it has to end a certain way, but it doesn't make it any easier. And it's because of how it ends. Anyway, oh, we could. Oh, my God. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the writing of it. Mm -hmm. Those last couple lines. Oh, my gosh. That hits you when you're reading it. Oh, man. Okay. 
guys, if you have not read that book yet, go and read it. And then just listen to episode one of my podcast. Okay. Where Bethany and I discuss all the things about that book. Cause it's yes, fantastic. Yes. And, <laughs> and come back to Prince Kai fan pod in four years when I start talking about it. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right. Well, I think that's Good. Let's, um, I am ready to dive into this further. So if you guys, uh, because again, this is a brand new book just released on June 2nd. So I don't want to spoil anything for you. So if you have not read the book yet, you may want to stop here and come back later and listen to the rest after you finish reading. Or if you don't care about spoilers um, (laughs) and you have already read it, then please, by all means, keep listening. But we are now going to go into our spoiler discussion. Yay. Yay. So the first thing I wanted to talk about um, was more about Joe's writing journey, which we did, you know, we kind of started talking about a little bit, but I, oh my goodness, there were some like quotes in here that I really loved and just going through her journey and seeing how much pressure she was under. She would get like, she got like hundreds of letters from her fans. And like, I mean, I hear writers talk about this kind of stuff, but it's, you don't really, this like book really gave you a good feel for what she was going through and what her Mm -hmm. struggle was like. And one thing that they write is that it says she simply did not know the fates of her characters. Like she didn't know which way she wanted them to go. And I love that because I watched Kendare Blake, who's the author of the Three Dark Crown series, which I just recently covered on the podcast. She did an Instagram live not that long ago that I watched. And I typed in a question and I asked, you know, did you know that it was going to end the way that she wa- it did? And she said, no. She's like, I actually didn't even know I was going to write four books. She said the fourth book just kind of came as a surprise and was like, Oh, maybe I'll continue this story. And then this, so it was kind of like, she was kind of saying a similar thing. Like she didn't know what was going to happen. And I, it just makes me wonder like how often that happens. Like I kind of wonder how many authors really, really meticulously like plan everything out. And then how many authors it just kind of happens organically for, or maybe they're writing and they don't know, like, I don't know. Have you, have you ever taken a creative writing course? No, I have not. So I, I took one because I, I usually write academically. I'm a librarian and I write a lot of like academic papers and research studies and super cool, boring stuff. Um, <laughs> but I took one to help with my uh, writing technique and I wrote a short story. It's one of the things that might be getting published this year. Um, and uh, it's it's really interesting how different everybody writes Mm-hmm. because we had our first meeting with the professor and he was basically like, how do you write? And I was like, I don't know. What's the assignment topic? <laughs> and so what I did when I approached it, I was like, well, what's a story that I want to tell? Cause it was a short story. So it didn't need to be long. Yeah. I was like, well, what's a story that I want to tell? And so I came up with what I wanted to tell. My family is Romanian and mm-hmm. gypsies often get overlooked in the, Um, demise of world war ii so i was like okay i want to tell a story about that and then i was like well who's the character and so then it became you know okay this my story is about this this is where it's set this is who my character is what do i want to happen to her as a character Mm -hmm. and then i figured out what i wanted to happen to her as a character and then it became about well how does all that happen and how does she as a character react to it yeah and I started out with something very different than what I finished with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's, it's because of that, because when you're writing, you sort of think about like, and everybody writes differently, of course, but like when I was writing, I was so focused on like, I want this to be the end of my story. Like I knew very vividly what I wanted the last page of my story to be. And so all of my efforts were driven into making that last page be as perfect and profound as possible. Yeah. So for Joe, she didn't know what that last page was. Right. So she was just trying to figure out, you know, the beginning, middle, and end, and she didn't really have anywhere to go. And because she based so much of it off of the people and things that had happened in her life, and she didn't mm-hmm. have that to draw from anymore, she really didn't know what to do. Right. And, but I, I feel like with, with Joe, because she took such inspiration from her real life, when she went back to that creative well, there wasn't enough information from her real life 
to fulfill those destinies of those characters. And she'd also altered those characters yeah. so much from the people that they were based on that she really, when they were like a sequel, she was like, ah, uh, what? <laughs> Plus, and then the other thing was, is for Joe, she had so much pressure on her, not just from the publisher and from the fans, but she also felt a lot of pressure because her family needed the money because they had so many war debts from her dad. They had to pay, you know, for their house and for food and for schooling and all these different things. And she's just like, well, if I can get this book written and I can get it done, we'll be in, you know, a much better place and we can pay off the war debts and Amy can go on a trip and study art and like all of these things. And so- Well, and I I also- I also think there's a lot of pressure from her family about what those characters' fates are going to be. Because you hear Meg and Amy complain all the time, like, you made me like this, you made (laughs) me like that, you made me end up with this guy and I've never even talked to him before. Like, yeah. And so I feel like a lot of her pressure came from like, well, is Amy going to like this ending? Is Meg going to be okay with this? Plus two, is her publisher wanted her to have like a nicer, like more realistic, um, ending and he with he wanted like romance and marriage in it and she mm-hmm. had in the first book you know she had written that meg and john brooke got married when in real when they actually haven't even done that yet um <laughs> in this story but she couldn't she couldn't figure out endings for her and amy and she was like she was really struggling with that. And I think part of it too is because Jill just didn't see herself as getting married. She didn't, she wasn't a romantic. So she didn't know how to write that either. So that was also a big, you know what I loved her? <laughs> Cause I mentioned before she would, she wrote something, she took it to the publisher and he was like, this is crap, do it again. So she took it back home. She wrote more. She took it back again. He was like, Nope, this is really bad too. So, but what's funny is his quote, like, he says to her, this is what he wants, something that's somewhere between feminist determination and melodrama whimsy. <laughs> I just love that quote because those I are like, too. those are her two extremes that she was giving him. The first one is feminist determination. I don't need a man. I'm not getting married. And then her other one was just very melodramatic and over the top. And he's like, no, we need something in the middle. Find it. Yeah, yeah. Find your happy place. But now, that's, yeah. <laughs> am I... Am I wrong, but are you, you are an author, right? You wrote a children's book? I wrote a children's picture book, yeah. Okay. Did you have to deal with this kind of thing with your publishers? No, because I self-published it. So, um, okay. you know, I had to deal with myself, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, so like I said, I've only written academically, but they're, obviously it's not similar because I'm not getting fan mail and it's not getting published <laughs> in, you know, in the same fashion, but it is a lot of this. It's a lot of like, and you know, the one I'm writing has to be like 16,000 words or something like that. And yeah. I think my first draft only had like 14 and I was like, I really don't know how much more I can put in here. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, like I sent it and I was like, okay, this is great. I mean, I need to add a little bit more, but you know, this is like perfect. Right. And it was like, no, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. Granted mine is academic. So it was a lot of like technical stuff. Like you need to research more on this topic. You need to research more on this topic. Uh, you spend too long connecting with this topic. You need to go back on this mm-hmm. topic. My top, my paper is about literary advances in middle school age groups and how to incorporate graphic novels. So okay. it's not super fun stuff, but it is a lot of back and forth of like, this is what I wrote. And then people being like, yeah, but that's not what we're, that's not, no, that's not what we're doing. Go back. Yeah. But also you need to have it done at this certain time and you need to have it done in a certain way. So yeah. go do it. And then you try again and they're like, no, and you're still on a deadline. And Joe really struggles with her deadline too. And because she she passes it, it. like she ignores it, but it's also because not just because she's having trouble writing, but because of everything that's going on personally with her and her relationship with Lori, with her mother, with Meg and Amy, with With her dad. Well, yeah, because Amy gets sick and almost dies and they're all like, you know, I mean, and with what happened to Beth dying, of course, that's like a huge thing. she, She never even told the publisher about Beth, remember? Yeah. She didn't want to so, put it because that was the other thing is she struggled because she didn't want to put Beth dying in the book. Which is why if you read Little Women, there's a part, the first part of mm-hmm. Little Women, Beth gets sick from Scarlet Fever, but she survives. And then the second right. part when she gets it again, she doesn't make it. It's because right. she didn't make it at all. Right. But it's, it was, yeah. 
who wants to write that? Like it's, it's, it's like, it's you know, she says, that. right. Cause she said she didn't want to relive that and go through that all over again. And then when Amy gets sick in this book, it's really hard for all of them because they went through it once with Beth. And then to think of going through it again with Amy was just too hard. So that was, that was really sad. That part of the book was hard because it was, it was really sad. I didn't know where it was going. I was like, oh my gosh, is she going to kill Amy? Are they going to kill Amy? Like, I felt like that too like, for a while because wait, I was like, what? Has, has she not been through enough? And then part of me was like, oh, is this how she's going to be like, well, obviously Lori can't end up with Amy because Amy's dead. So now Lori right? and Joe are together. Like part of me was like, <laughs> okay, that's where this is heading. Like, they're going to kill Amy yeah. off to make it okay. I was glad they didn't though. I'm glad that they didn't do. I'm glad that they kept they kept with Louisa May Alcott's story there and they did not kill Amy off. Here's the other thing that I liked about um, Joe's writing journey. Okay, so because in her book, she ends up, she puts in what's in her book. Uh, oh, man, okay, hold on. I need to make sure that I say this so that it comes out and makes sense. Um, so in this version of Joe and Lori, it's, you know, it's different than what happens in Little Women, but she puts in, and Joe's, when Joe's writing her sequel, she puts in elements, they put in elements from Louisa May Alcott's story. So they mm-hmm. have Aunt March, they have Professor Bear, they have, um, Joe writes in her sequel that Amy and Lori end up together. Mm-hmm. She writes that Meg gives birth to twins, which happens. Um, and then, you know, she writes about Amy going on a trip to Europe. So I really liked that even though all of those things didn't happen in this book, they, they still put those elements in there so that we got those Louisa May Alcott elements still, which is really fun. And it, it also kind of makes it kind of makes it so that both stories could be true. Right. I think it's their way of saying like, look, we're not changing anything that happened in Little Women. What we're saying is that Little Women is fictional. Right. And that this, the second part of Little Women is what happened in Joe's sequel that she wrote, not yes. in real life. <laughs> yes. But yes. I, I liked that. That's a good way of doing it because when yeah. you mess with the original story, you know, you're going to get people like me, who's a team Amy person who mm-hmm. are like, mm, why? Well, <laughs> and I mean, it's a classic, it's a classic story. So you don't really want to mess with it too much anyway. Yeah, but. Absolutely. All right, let's move along. I we must then obviously talk about Joe and Lori's relationship. Oh. Um, I just can't. <laughs> I, okay, I am that person who every time, every time I watch the movie, and by the way, I only and I only ever watch the old. Oh gosh, it was like 1942 version that Elizabeth oh, that Taylor one. was in. <gasps> it's really, really good. Elizabeth Taylor's in that. I saw Winona Ryder. And yeah, by see? the way, the only good part about that movie was Winona Ryder. Um, well, see, <laughs> I really liked that one, but those are like the only two versions that I watch. I haven't watched, I haven't even seen the new one because I'm the like, new one I don't know if I can do it. I'm just was, so. So th- this is my little women journey. Okay. I saw the Winona Ryder movie with my mom on TNT. And I was hardcore team Joe. And I was <laughs> devastated that he ended up with Lori. And I was talking to my mom about it. And she was like, well, it's based on a book. Go read the book. It's, it's in my room. So I went to her room. I grabbed her like old torn up paperback copy and I read it. And I, yep. after reading it, I was team Amy. Gotcha. After watching this new movie, it's just even more enforced because <laughs> I, I went to that movie and I saw it in theaters with my friend Amy and I spent the entire movie laughing and crying. Like I walked out of there with a headache because I laughed and cried so Aww. much. <laughs> so I think it's worth watching. Please, everyone go watch it. They do such okay. a good job of taking it in a different direction. The actresses mm-hmm. do amazing. I wish I knew all of their names. Uh, Florence Poe, who plays Amy, was incredible. Obviously, Emma Watson is a treasure. Mm-hmm. I forget the actress's name who played Joe, but she just nailed it. But I, now I really want to go see the 1940s version because I've never seen that one. It's really good. It's really good. I will um, send you an email with it in it so you can see which one it is. But. So what we need to do now is you need to go watch the new one and I need to go watch the old one and then we can do an episode where we compare the two. 
That sounds good. Oh, and you know what I'll do, you know what I'll do, friends? I will put links to like different versions of the movies in the show notes for today. Yes. So then you guys can check out all of these different versions because they each are special in their own way. And they're good. Yes. Okay. And they're, they're really good just in general. Yes. Very true. Yes. <laughs> Um, so Joe and Lori. Okay. So I love their relationship. You know, their best friend, they have this awesome, like playfulness and sweetness and tenderness and like understanding with each other. They're goofy together. They can just be whoever they want together. I love the descriptions that they have of Teddy. Like they say, Theodore Lawrence, affectionately called Lori, burst into the room, lighting up the whole place up as he entered, just as he always did. And then they say, a sweaty lock of sun-streaked gold brown hair flopped into his eyes, covering half of his cheerful, ruddy face. I just love their descriptions of Lori. They're fantastic. And he just, he has these amazing lines too, like things that he says to Joe where I'm like, how is she not a puddle every time she talks to him? He said, like he says to her, I have always belonged to you since long before you had such a great many passionate fans, my lady Shakespeare. Like he was, you know, toying with her, but at the same time, he's like, he was sincere. I've always belonged to you. I'm like, who, who says these things? Like it's <laughs> every time he would say they would give him one of these lines like this. I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm melting into a puddle. Joe, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I think that's probably part of it is, is readers, Joe is our protagonist and we want to be on her mm -hmm. side, but then she does things to Lori and we're like, girl, what is the matter? <laughs> <laughs> and so we because, get frustrated with her. Okay. Like, okay. Here's why I was really frustrated with her. Let's talk about their trip to New York city. Okay. Oh my God. Didn't that sound like so much fun? Yes. Like I wanted to be on that trip with them. I was like, so, oh. so her going upstairs and her surprise being Meg, that's the Perfect. kind of thing my husband would do. Oh, that's so sweet. Like, like two years ago, two or three years ago, my husband bought tickets for me and my sister, Lindsay and my sister, Samantha to go to our dad's house in Florida and go to Orlando, um, the Orlando amusement parks. We could go to Harry Potter world together. Oh, that's so awesome. I so like, that's that. the kind of thing my husband would do. So like just, and I have three sisters that I'm very close to. So walking in the room, not knowing who was going to be in there. And then it's my sister. Like I would have been screaming Lord. tears of joy and everything. Like, so that was just all well, of see, the sisterly stuff in this book was just, it hit home for me. Cause I have yeah. sisters and a lot of I, it reminded me of Pride and Prejudice. Oh yes, that's true. I just like, especially with the, the 7 billion proposals that all went oh awry. My gosh. <laughs> and we are going to talk about that. We are going to talk about that. <laughs> Friends, there are seven, seven marriage proposals in this book. Like I can't, okay. We're going to talk about that in depth, but before we get there, this New York city trip, oh my gosh, he plans this whole thing, right? Like he, cause he planned this cause he was going to propose to her there. And yes. then he bought, he buys them tickets to see Charles Dickens, which mm -hmm. first of all knocks her off of her feet. And she's like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Right. He plans this whole trip for them. He has Meg surprise her there, bring all these like fancy clothes for her to wear while they're in New York city from his grandfather who, um, love the grandfather always have, but they go, he well, takes he has her a dress made for her. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like his mother's dress. He's thinking designed this dress for her designed right? the dress based on his mother's dress. And he said, where is it? Mm. Oh, here we go. He's cause he, he designed a dress similar to one that he had that his mom is wearing in a picture. And he says to Joe, it's the picture of her that always reminds me of you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's this huge compliment. He designs the darn thing. And what does she do? She refuses the dress. She's like, no, I'm going to let Meg wear it. Cause Meg had had this like moment of you do this, Joe, and Amy has this, and I don't have anything. I'm not really this, you know, anything going on. I don't have anything special. So Joe's like, oh, I'm going to let Meg wear this dress and have this because then she'll feel special. But then, so she says that, and, you know, Lori is, of course, hurt. But then Joe slowly realizes when, you know, she finds out he designed the stinking dress. <laughs> She's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have turned it down. What was I well, thinking? Well, because I mean, it hurts just a dress. Right. But it, 
this whole thing. Like he gets her tickets to Charles Dickens. They go to the opera. He designs and purchases this amazing dress for her. He has this whole well, thing. Planned. He also took her to the docks, remember, so he could try to show her yes. the crate that was carrying her dress. Yes. And then she totally <laughs> screwed that up, but whatever. <laughs> and fine. she literally, literally, he said, don't run away. And she's like, I'm not. And then she ran down the street. <laughs> <laughs> he just like, he does all of this stuff for her. And then he ends up not proposing to her on the trip because he just didn't feel like it was the right time. Like he was going to propose to her when they were seeing Charles Dickens, but then he saw yeah. her talking to that guy and he was like, oh, I don't think it's the right time. Then he tries to propose. Oh, you know what? We'll just talk about this in a minute. <laughs> Because I have a whole page of notes about proposals. Anyway, okay. it's back to New York City. So, yeah. So they do all of this stuff. They have this most amazing experience in New York. I love, like, this trip was so fun to read. And then, and then, <laughs> I love when they meet Lady Hat. <laughs> like, here's her description. Very pretty, right? Okay, so she's this very pretty, wealthy, vivacious. She's lively, right? Um Here's what it says when she first comes into the scene. It says, Joe smelled the powdered perfume lace-edged bosoms before she saw them. Yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> and, you know, I think every time she's mentioned from then on in the story, the word bosoms is in there at least once. Oh, yes. Just a reminder that this woman is very well endowed. Yes, she is. <laughs> yeah, she's young, vivacious. She is very well endowed, apparently, and flaunts it. Flaunts it. Yes. <laughs> but I love it. And then what I hate, though, is how she totally latches onto John Brooke and flirts with him mercilessly right in front of Meg. And Meg and is see, like that's beside herself. Got, um, that's where I got more Pride and Prejudice vibes because it reminded me of Caroline Bingley. Yes. Young, beautiful, rich, vivacious, and she latches onto him so quickly, mm-hmm. if for no other reason than because someone else wants him. Yeah. Like, so that's where I was getting more Pride and Prejudice vibes. Sorry, Pride and Prejudice is like one of my favorite books. And I just, no. I saw so many elements of it when I was reading this. It was very similar. But I mean, yeah, I mean, and it was just... That, that had me, like, I was so angry when I kept reading this. I'm like, get away from here, you little hussy. Like, leave them all. Because Meg, like, she doesn't stand up for herself. She doesn't say anything. And I know, like, it's part of the, like, culture and the time period, too. Like, they're raised to be ladies and not do that kind of thing. Like, it's not like now where women are just catty and will say and do whatever, like, they want. You know? So she just doesn't say anything and doesn't defend herself and she has to sit there well because then they go to that dance too or the ball the ball ball. and he's and lady hat is like all over john oh i felt so bad for meg and then because then lady hat totally embarrasses her too because she says um she wore the same dress meg wore the same dress well and then she got the lacing wrong Right. She, oh, that's, oh, I wanted to like reach through the book. Yeah, but Meg's response was perfection. I was like, get it, girl. (laughs) I love um, in classic stories like this where, okay, because it's kind of like Downton Abbey too, where they just like, oh. Sorry, I don't want to TV. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) But they just like were the characters because it, again, they can't, you know, they have to be prim and proper and be a lady and they can't really tell somebody off like they might want to, but they do come up with these sly little zingers is, you oh, know, yeah. like it's like, little ways it's and like, it's awesome. Um, proper passive aggressive. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the backhanded compliment, you know, like when you're, t- you know, oh, I love how you just wear anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you made it sound like that was something nice, but you don't mean it that way. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. So yeah, but I, I really the the New York City trip was one of my absolute favorite parts of the book though. It was just it felt so magical and so fun and just like the best time that they could ever have. And, and you know, perfect- it also felt like it was over too quickly. It did. And they were there for a whole week too. Yeah. But it didn't feel like as much of the story as I wanted it to be, I think for them being there a whole week. But then again, like the rest of the book is, you know, a little over three months. So it makes sense that it can't be that long. I just, I would have liked to have seen more in New York. I, I you know, 
it was, it was good. That was a really good section. I loved it. And, uh, so because like I said, he was going to propose to her there. I think, you know, we can talk about these marriage proposals now. I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. Friends. I, I had to sit and count because I, they kept on coming and I was like, how many marriage proposals are in it? Seven. There are seven marriage proposals in this book. Okay. So, I mean, cause we have like <clears throat> full marriage proposals and then we have kind of like half ones. <laughs> but Where it's like a vague implication yeah, that everybody knows what's there. going on. <laughs> so, so the first one is when they're on their way home from mm -hmm. New York City, they're on the train. Lori's like, I love it. Cause he's like chomping at the bit. Like he cannot wait anymore. He's like, I have to do this. So he takes her <laughs> to the outside of the cart. Like they're on the little, the end of the car, the train car outside. It's super loud. Cause they can hear the wheels are right next to him. And he tries to propose to her and she just like pushes it aside. Like, nope, nope. I can't have this conversation right now. And I'm like, Joe, Joe, what is the matter with you? <laughs> Like, and this is where I feel for Lori so badly because I'm like, girl, either reel him in or let him off the hook. Like, because <laughs> he just gave her this most amazing trip. And yes. she's even like, because she, something I didn't say earlier too is that like about the relationship is throughout this whole book, she really fights herself about her feelings for him mm -hmm. because she's so determined that she is going to be this strong independent woman and do things on her own and not have to rely on a man and not have to get married that she pushes her feelings for him aside. And I'm like, you're stupid. <laughs> oh, and see, that's where I relate to her the most. Cause I did that. Oh, you did? Yeah. My husband went into the military when we first started dating. He wasn't, mm -hmm. he wasn't in the military. And then he went into the military being a military wife. You walk away from everything. Oh yeah. I was, I had my sisters, my family, my friends. I'd lived in the same place since I was 10 years old. I um, was going to school on a scholarship. I had a great job. I had no desire to walk away from all of that and be someone's wife in a city and state where I knew no one. And it, we split up for like five or six months while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then eventually we found a way, we found our way back to each other in a way that made it work. And I did give all those things up, but yeah. I mean, at, at 19, I think at 20, I was like, Ugh. it's hard. It's hard it's to walk hard away decision. from everything. It's, it's really hard. And Joe's not even having to do that. Just the idea no. that she may have to do that. And so right. I, I kind of relate to her. Like I get the part of being like, no, I really want to protect this part of myself. Cause that's part of her. Okay. So in marriage proposal number two, <laughs> and <laughs> this is the one where like this proposal, marriage proposal number two in this book is like the big marriage proposal that takes place in the movie and in Louisa mm -hmm. May Alcott's where she says no. And that's the point where every time I watch the movie, I yell and scream at the TV that Joe is an idiot and I'm crying. And then I'm like, Lori, I will marry you because you're perfect. <laughs> but I digress. But this one, but so, um, Cause so this but second, even before he proposes in that one, she tries to do the same thing she did on the train. And he was like, no, seriously, you have to let me talk. Like we have yes. to figure this out. He's like, we, we have to hash this out. We have to have this done. I cannot go any longer. So he proposes to her. He says, you know, that he wants to get married, but she, and then she gives him all these excuses. Like, well, I'm saving you for me because you know, I'm, we'd fight. Like we're too alike to each other. I wouldn't be happy. I'd have to give up my writing. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's all those what ifs that mm -hmm. she's been thinking about in her head. But he's like, I never said you would have to give up your writing. I love you because of who you are, because you are this high spirited, crazy, carefree person. But she, and he, and then he says, there's no one for me, but you, Joe. <laughs> and I'm like, crying, crying as I'm reading this scene, even though I know this is how it goes and she's going to say no again. And, I, and I'm just like, oh, here's what I really loved though. After, well, and this proposal, I like that it takes place in the attic, which is in her writing space. So it's like mm -hmm. just her and him up there. They're in the house. This is her, like her zone, her own little space. Well, it's also the scene of, of all of their childhood memories together. Yes. So it's like a perfect place for him to propose. Cause there's like, there's, there's memories of him and her and 
all their fighting and all their laughter in every corner of that room. And of course yeah. that's where it is when he's proposing. It's if she had sense. said yes, it would have been perfect. Yep. But she didn't. And then he leaves and the girls, her sisters knew, you know, like what was going on. And she tells, and she tells them that she refused him. And Meg says to her, you're a fool who doesn't know her own heart. And I'm like, there it is. Thank you, Meg. Thank you for opening up her. However, we see then in proposal number three, that Meg does not take her own advice. No. Because proposal number three is Meg and Brooke. He comes to the house. Like they know what's happening because he comes. He's all dressed up. I love this. They're all like super excited. They're ready. She goes outside. She goes for the walk with him. She knows that it's coming, right? She tells him no. She says no to John Brooke. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But her excuse is that she she feels, I think Meg in this moment, like feel, she just feels too insecure because mm-hmm. Lady Hat was all over him and wanted him. And Lady Hat is this like high society woman and has all of this money. Meg's family has no money. John Brooke is a tutor, so he doesn't have any money. So this is the excuse that she uses. No, I think part of her poor. also doesn't want to be a second choice. I think that yeah. there's this unspoken question of, you know, could he have Lady Hat? In which case, is Meg the second choice? Is she the easy choice? Because Lady Hat could turn him down, but why would Meg turn him down? Right. But the whole thing, the whole scene with her turning him down just makes me think of the part in the actual story of Little Women where she where she has like a complete breakdown and she's like, I'm just so tired of being poor. Yeah. And it, it really brought me back to that. Because yeah, then me I too. feel bad for John so bad. I'm I like, know. no, he's really nice to you. He's really good. I was like, who cares if you're poor and you don't have any money? You'll have each other. He's such a great man. Like, what is wrong with you? And then here's what I love too, because she goes inside, you know, Amy and Joe are beside themselves. She tells them she said no, and they tell her she's crazy. And then her and Joe kind of get in this fight because Joe's like, Joe tells her, don't be a idiot. You should have said yes to him because of this. And Meg's essentially like, yeah, who are you to talk? Look what you just yeah. did. You just said no and did the exact same thing I did. So what Meg are you talking basically about? Like, Meg is basically like, oh, okay, so you're the kettle and I'm the pot today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So then we have the proposal. marriage proposal. Oh, so that was, oh yeah. Okay. So then number four. Okay. So Meg is miserable. She goes to the post office one day and she runs into John Brooke there. She sees him. They start talking. He ends up telling her that he refused Lady Hat, that Lady Hat, you know, wanted to get married. And he told her no. And he says, you know, I can't be with you. And Meg starts crying and she gets all upset because this scene made me think of the scene in Sense and Sensibility at the end. Oh my gosh. (sighs) Best, best scene ever. This is (laughs) is when I fell in love with Emma Thompson because I watched the scene with her and Colin Firth and he comes and he's like, well, I'm not marrying so-and-so. And she immediately bursts into tears. And I was like, oh my gosh, here it comes. And he's like all flustered and then he proposes and she says, yes, that's the most amazing thing ever. Anyways, <laughs> that was my moment. You have your pride and prejudice. I had this sense and sensibility <laughs> moment right here. <laughs> I mean, you can see moments of that like everywhere. Yeah. Did, did you ever watch Friends? Oh, yeah, of course I did. So the moment when Ross shows up at the apart- at Central Park, I didn't get a cat. Yep. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the when you're torn between, which I've never been in that position, but they do it all the time. It's called a love triangle. It's yeah, drastically popular. Um, but, you know, it's when one character is torn between two people mm-hmm. and it's the big reveal that they chose this person. And it's the, I didn't get a cat. I didn't get yep. married. I turned down her proposal. Like. It's the reveal that like, no, it's been you all along. Yeah. And that's this one. So this one, and this is fun. And so, you know, he asked Megs to reconsider. And of course she says yes. And it's just so awesome scene. So then we know they're going to get married. Then we move on to proposal number five, (laughs) which doesn't technically happen. Like we don't see it happen, but it's talked about. So Lori is so, he's off at college and he is so upset and distraught, you know, by not being with Joe. 
and then he goes somewhere and Lady Hat is there and he sees her and he kind of thinks like, well, why not? <laughs> so we find out. Well, he has, he has I mean, like very logistical reasons. He's like, she's pretty. She's in the same high society that I am. My yep. grandfather would be happy. <clears throat> I'd have money so I could write and, you know, become a musician. And she mm-hmm. obviously is fun. She loves to throw a good party. It's a very logical decision. Not it's at very all, surface level. Yeah. And it's not, it's not at all, emo- I mean, it's emotional in one sense that he's been rejected by Joe and he's totally depressed about that. But in the other sense, it really is more of a like, this makes sense on paper kind mm-hmm. of decision for him. And you know what? It, I think it's important for Lori, for Lori especially because of his background, because of why Joe refused him. I think it's important for Lori to, to explore the on paper situation. I agree. Because he feels like, I mean, he, like I said earlier, he says to Joe, there's no one for me but you. Mm-hmm. So it's like he knows emotionally he can never love anybody else the way that he does, Joe. So if he's not going to really love somebody else, then why not take the paper solution? Right. Because if you're not going to get married for love, then there's advantageous reasons for it. Right. So he comes back, he comes back to Concord um, because Amy is sick at this point Mm -hmm. and he comes and sees her and then- And he um, brings her a doll. Yes. Which was so sweet. He brings her the doll. But then, you know, he tells them all about being engaged to Lady Hat and Joe like totally flips out <laughs> and kind of loses it. She's like really, really mad. And, but again, like passive aggressiveness. It was the, yeah, it she's was just the, like, I hope you guys are super duper happy. I loved that scene because <laughs> you could just feel the tension in the room with the four of them, with uh, Meg and John Brooke and then Joe and Lori. Like, I swear oh I gosh. could hear Meg in my head saying over and over again, what did you expect, Joe? Right? I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> you said no. And now look, he's off with somebody else. Doesn't deserve her. He needs yep. to be with you, you dummy. Like, oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so then we have Marriage proposal number six, which occurs at Meg and John Brooks' wedding. Mm-hmm. So it's their wedding, and Lori is, of course, there with his grandfather to attend the wedding. And he goes outside, and Joe follows him outside, and they're talking. And she, it's like she just has this epiphany. <laughs> like, no, you know, it's like weddings bring about this stuff in people. I don't know. But she, like, has this epiphany, and she's like, no, you know what? She tells them basically like, I've been an idiot. You're absolutely right. There's nobody else for me but you. And, you know, I'm asking you this time, will you marry me? I loved it. I loved it because she proposed to him. And mind again, that I was totally sobbing by this point. I was like, <laughs> this is the end. This is me sitting in my bed at 1 a.m. crying because she's finally realized. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank the Lord she's doing it. It's going to happen. They're going to actually end up together. I'm getting a story where Joe and Lori are going to end up together. And it's fantastic. So I loved it. But what was, I found was funny was that like, he was like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you messing with me? Because <laughs> don't do this to me. <laughs> he was like, I have been burned by you so many times in the past. Mm-hmm. You've talked about throwing me off the side of the ship, letting me drown in the ocean. You know, like, I yes. just want to make sure <laughs> before I get excited that you actually mean this. <laughs> yes. And by the way, she could propose because Lady Hat, he had just told her, Lady Hat had said, you know, this isn't going to work. And she left that morning. So she was out of the picture. But yeah, I, so I absolutely loved that. That was like pure happiness for me <laughs> as I was reading it. And then proposal number seven, because he wanted to do it too. Like, so they come back inside and then he pulls out the ring. Wasn't his mom's ring? Yeah, his mom's mom's mom's. He pulls out, which he he had on him. And he said it was never right for Lady Hat. No. And he still had, like, this is what I was like, oh my gosh, he had this ring on him still. He he carried it with him because he just loves her that much. He couldn't, he still had it with him. (laughs) And so, so then he pulls it out in front of everybody in the room and he gets down on one knee and he proposes. Oh, and by this time her dad has come home because he came home the night before. So even her dad is there to witness this. And then it's really, really, really official. And I was a 
pool of tears and a mess by this point. So, you know, but it was beautiful. I really love it though, because it's like, it's almost like this weight that's been in his pocket since the beginning of the book. Yes, it really has. Because he carried around all of New York with him. He did. He had it because he was going to propose to her while they were there. And then it just didn't happen until the train. And then she was like, oh, nope, never mind. But then it all culminates. Like she's able to finish her book. Everybody's married off and happily ever after. Daddy's home, safe and sound. And it's fantastic. And again, like most satisfied I felt at the end of the book in a long time. I was just literally like sitting in my bed, <laughs> sobbing my eyes out. And I'm like, thank the Lord. My husband is asleep right now. <laughs> Cause we'll see now my husband, I flat out told him cause I, he and I talk about everything. He's not a reader, but he and I still talk about everything. So I yeah. told him, I said, my friend Leah's got this book. She's, you know, gave me the advanced reader copy so I can read it and, you know, do an episode with her on her podcast. He's like, Oh my God, that's so cool. And I was like, yeah, but I'm like terrified to read the book. <laughs> and so I explained to him why, because he obviously he's heard of Little Women, but right. also obviously he's never read it or watched the movies. Right. So I explained to him like why I was worried about it, and he was like, "Well, you're gonna have to keep me posted." And so like I kept telling him, I was like, "I just I I feel like something's about to happen, and I just don't know what it is." <laughs> I feel like this book, for anyone who has felt like me, where every time you read the book and every time you watch the movies and Joe says no to Lori and you want to scream and cry and tell her she's an idiot, like, I feel like this book is perfect for all of us. Like, this is, this is what we needed. This is like the story that I needed. This is, this is the, <laughs> the happy ending. Because again, like in the original, I understand why she ends up with Professor Bear and it's not bad. But I never felt like he was as good of a match with Amy. You know, like I can totally see why Amy was infatuated with Lori and wanted to be with him. But I felt like he kind of was settling in a way for Amy. I mean, I love Amy, but it just was different. It was just a different feeling because... I think I think that's part of why I like Amy and Lori together because Amy probably grows up the most out of the series of course right because yeah. she's a melodramatic child but <laughs> Who which maybe is it? why I relate to her so much <laughs> but you know she goes on the trip with March with Aunt March and she really does put a burden on herself to take the brunt of the family to marry herself well so yeah. that she can provide for her family she goes out of her way to be accepted in high society, to, to behave a certain way, to act a certain way, to look a certain way, to be presentable so that she can snatch the eye of someone who's worthy of her and capable of saving her family. And so I feel like she grows up and she becomes this, this type of person that you would expect Lori to marry on paper. She becomes the lady hat, but in a good way. Like right. she's high society, but not she's the, not evil or vindictive or right. catty. Or bosomy. Um, and I feel like <laughs> and I feel like Lori, after everything he went through with Joe, I think Lori kind of reevaluated what he thought love should be versus what love mm-hmm. is. Because those are two very different things. And that's, that's very true. That's a very difficult thing to to realize as an adult and as a person is that, mm-hmm. especially because like in movies and books and TV shows, we always see these huge grand gestures and that's not necessarily what real love is. I feel like what made Lori and Amy a good match was that, you know, maybe they weren't the right people for each other when they were younger, but as older people, they were able to come back together and find each other again yeah. in a way that was completely organic and right. of course it was an advantageous marriage it would have been for joe too because he does come for money but what made it work was just that she had grown into this person she could still be fun and yeah. they could still have fun together but she had become a person worthy of that kind of serious relationship and yeah Lori finally got not to harp on joe but he finally <laughs> got someone where it was easy it was easy to be in love. It was easy to be happy. And not that there's anything wrong with quarreling, right. but that was difficult. That was hard on Lori. Well, yeah. Proposing and getting shot down. Multiple times. Multiple times. <laughs> All the times he like literally bent over backwards for her and she just thwarted him. 
And then he comes, you know, here he comes with Amy and Amy is like, don't marry me just because of the money. Marry me because you love me and you want to marry me. I'm not anybody's second choice. Right. And Lori finally had someone who got that, who understood what it felt to be like that. And so that's part of why I like the two of them together. Yeah. And And I also thought that Joe intellectually was a better match. With Professor Barrett. I agree. I'm sure there are people listening right now that are like, who's this Bethany girl? Why is she on this podcast? Like, <laughs> but everybody, but that's, what's great about you and I covering this book together is because I am team Amy and you are exactly. team Joe. And so yep. we get to have that different opinion. And I think what the authors managed to do really well in this book is I'm still team Amy and little women, mm-hmm. but in this book, I'm team Joe and Lori. They did a really good job of that. You know what this book reminds me of? Have you ever read Anne of Green Gables? Yes. This book. Gilbert Blythe. Yes. I totally, like, I kept on thinking about that while I was reading Joe and Lori and just how, like, Gilbert and Anne's relationship, how he is always coming after her. She's always denying her feelings for him. And then when he's dying of scarlet fever, he tells her that he called off his engagement to Christine because there's nobody else for him except for Anne. And then she eventually realizes her feelings for him and is like, there's nobody else for me either. I I even know the quote. She says, I don't want starbursts and marbled halls. I just want you. And I'm like, oh, so it's like, this is, I totally like Joe and Lori was that for me with Gilbert and Anne too. And I I think that's another reason I I loved it before. Like they make it so difficult, but in real life, love is not this hard. I know. (laughs) Like anybody who's really young and listening to this, it's not that hard. Don't stress okay. yourself out about it too much. It's okay. It's fine, really. This is just what happens in stories. We just have to dramatize it to make it more fun. Like, yes. it took me, I don't know about you, because I'm a really like dramatic person, but it took me a really long time. Definitely, like, there are things that happen in my life now as a 30-year-old that I would find romantic that 16-year-old me would have expected way more out of. Agreed. So, you know. Yep. Because you get used to watching in, in movies and TV shows and reading in books and even cartoons, you get used to seeing these big, huge, grand gestures mm-hmm. and real life isn't like that. No, not at all. It's so different. And I think that's, okay, not to go into a philosophical discussion. We're not going to go far with this, but, <laughs> but I think like that's why so many people don't get married as much or so many people end up getting divorced because they expect so much because that's what they see on TV and in the movies. And then it's, but that's not the reality, you know? So life is not a Hallmark movie. It's not. Thankfully, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, everybody has their own experiences and their own expectations. When I was younger, I always wanted this, you know, big, huge wedding with big dresses and mm-hmm. bridesmaids and flowers everywhere. And I wanted everybody telling me how pretty I was. And uh, after my parents got divorced and the older I got, I was like, I don't even know if marriage is a good idea anymore. And then by the time Quentin proposed, because Quentin actually proposed to me twice. Because oh. <laughs> by, <laughs> by the time he proposed the first time, I was like, oh, okay, sure, we'll get married. Like, I didn't even believe him. Oh my goodness. Because it just wasn't something on my radar. And <laughs> the second time he proposed, I obviously said yes. But it just, it, it becomes this thing. You know, we see these movies, we see these TV shows. It's all these big romantic grand gestures. They meet at the Eiffel Tower, mm-hmm. you know. Don't just cry, not- shop girl in the middle of Central Park. Oh, yeah. God, I love I love Meg Ryan and you've got Mail and Tom Hanks Me and all that. Too. But <laughs> but but real life, there's other things that are romantic. And I think the older you get, the more you realize what's romantic. Like I just finished grad school or just finished grad school. I just finished my <laughs> bachelor's degree. I'm about to start grad school. I host a podcast and I have a part-time job. So like my life is super busy. Yeah. I had books stacked on my floor for months because I didn't have the time to buy a bookshelf. I didn't have the time to put it together. (laughs) And I came home and I'd had a really long day at work and I was exhausted. And I told my husband, I was like, I'm just going to go take a nap. I have to record in three hours. You know, I love you. I'm going to go take a nap. I woke up from my nap. I came into my office to record and my bookshelf, there was a bookshelf in my room that had been assembled and put up for me. Oh, that's awesome. See, which to me- yeah. That's the most romantic thing in the world. 
Hey, I am right there with you. Me, I don't think 16 year old me <laughs> or even 20 year old me would have appreciated that as much no. as I do now. But to me, like that was You're all right. I needed that day. And I didn't even know I needed it. I agree. I love when my husband does that kind of stuff too. Yeah. It's just so unexpected. All right. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Bethany, for talking about this book with me. I was like, when I read it, I was like, I need to have somebody as my guest who I know I can have a really great discussion on and gush (laughs) over and also have super awesome conversation. So I am really glad that you said yes and were able to do this with me. So thank you. And all of you guys need to check out Bethany's podcast, Prince Kai Fan Pod, which I will put a link to in the show notes. And since we have um, talked about marriage proposals today and marriage, if you want to hear how I ruined my husband's marriage proposal. (laughs) You can go to the fancy free podcast and listen to the episode there. It's titled, you know, Leah, how Leah ruined her husband's marriage proposal. (laughs) You can check that out and hear the whole embarrassing story. I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. (laughs) um, That's something we have in common now, I guess, because I Mm -hmm. ruined both my husband's proposals. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we're all happily married and that's what matters. (laughs) We are. (laughs) Surprises don't always go well. (laughs) No, but you know, you never know, but that's life. But hey, it worked out in the end. So we're good. Yeah. (laughs) And it worked out for Joe and Lori. And that's really what matters here. (laughs) And you know, and and I found myself being more excited about the Meg and John stuff too. So that was also a nice happy ending. It really was. I enjoyed that as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and we will chat again soon. Today's podcast featured the book Joe and Lori, written by Margaret Stoll and Melissa De La Cruz. Be sure to follow YA Book Chat on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive review as well. YA Book Chat was created, hosted, and edited by me, Leah Stuhler. <laughs>